I'm Dawn. And I'm Ashley. We would like to welcome you to the Work It, You Are Worth It podcast. Where two friends sit around and talk about healing, growth, and healthy relationships. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Dawn. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm great. How has your weekend been? It's been wonderful. And just to the listeners, we're recording on Memorial Day. So happy Memorial Day to everyone. Absolutely. Um, it's been really good. Um, did dinner on Friday night. Did, did I do dinner? Yeah, did dinner. I gosh, that's terrible. It's been just such a blur. I think I did dinner Friday night brunch yesterday with the with the um, no, Saturday with the girls and was out and about all day Saturday with them. And um, yesterday, I did some editing. I did a couple of errands and I got in this mood I wanted because I didn't have any like cookout plans. And so I was like, hmm, I want ribs like I'm craving ribs so I ran to the store and I bought some ribs and I made barbecued ribs in my oven and I did I bought some a little bit of potato salad and baked beans and it was so good. It was so good. So That sounds like a lot of fun. It was. It was just me. Um Colin has been at my mom's most of the week. Um you know, enjoying his his vacation, you know, now tomorrow is a um tomorrow will be the 30th and his graduation is tomorrow, so I'm, I can't, it's here, it's, it's, I'm excited, um, you know, I'll probably cry, but that's okay, <laughs> and um, it's just now, it's like, because it's been two weeks, he's been out of school two weeks, so it's kind of like, we're already in that summer mode thing, gotcha. so it's kind of like, now it's just like, We've been chilling for two weeks, and now all of a sudden, boom, here's graduation, like, and we're like, oh, no, this is annoying. Um. <laughs> it's so weird how the different states do it differently, right? So, so my son is also a senior this year, and he will be in, um, he will be in school until the 8th, and then on the 9th, he will have graduation. Oh, wow, he's still in school that long? Wow. Yes. Yep. It's crazy how they do it. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Because um, Colin's like, to, he is not feeling it today. He's just, I don't know why I have to do this. I have to get up early. I don't want to, you know, he's just, <laughs> yeah. So nerves and anxiety. No, he's just annoyed. He's gotcha. really, really annoyed about this. <laughs> he just doesn't feel like dealing with it. No, he doesn't. He just, he just, it's been too long. Like, I think, I feel like Jeb's schedule is a little bit more realistic for them, for him, for them, because, like I said, Colin's been on, in, his mentality has been summer break for two weeks now. Where Jeb, it's like, I gra I'm done with school, I graduate the next day, and so there's no these long breaks, it's just all wrapped up, done and over with. Yep, that's for sure. So... Well, I had a pretty good weekend myself. Yes. Um, 
We went yesterday, Destiny and her boyfriend and Jeb and his girlfriend and Cameron and Nick and I all went to an escape room, uh, not yesterday, Saturday, and then and had dinner and hung out for the day. And then yesterday was really rainy and yucky. We kind of mm. hid out at home and watched TV and movies. And then today, uh, me and the kids went and saw the new Little Mermaid movie. So that has been a lot of fun. Oh, that's a good weekend. That's a good weekend, because I know we talked last week, and you were like, we might do this and this and this and this, and so it sounds like you've just really had a kind of a chill weekend and just got some good family time in. Yes, it has been very enjoyable. Good. That's good. Well, so one of the things we talked this week, but one of the things we both have not really done in this podcast is shared our stories. What how we started out in CODA, what brought us to CODA, um, what recovery has looked like, and kind of like just our stories of our life that has gotten us to where we're at today. And so thought it'd be kind of fun to actually talk about that. And um, just so that listeners can, the listeners and everyone can kind of get to know us a little bit better. We, I mean, we do share a lot about ourselves But I think putting the story in one, putting our stories in one podcast, I think will just really kind of clear up some of the things that maybe we haven't been clear about. Yeah, I think it's always nice to give just a quick uh, summary of the important things to us in our lives. And who knows, maybe five or 10 years from now, we do another, maybe a year, who knows? And it may sound very different or it may sound very similar. Yeah. And it is, I think it's, that is one of the things that I think is so important about, I'm not a huge journaler, but I do share my story a lot. I do reflect on my story a lot. And it's funny because I can, I feel, I can see the differences, but it's really interesting about journaling. If I journal something to go back and read it and it's like, wow, especially in a situation with that, which like I had with my son recently, being able to share a journal journal um, entry that I did write where I could relate to him or he could relate to me, or I've read him and I've found, I feel the exact same way, right? I did that early in my journey um, with the guy that brought me to CODA was when I initially, when everything happened, and I'll tell that story here in a second, when everything happened, I wrote it, and then two years later, I'm still this back and forth with him, and I read it, and I felt the exact same way I felt that day I wrote it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why journaling is so amazing, but, um, so yeah, so you ready to, you ready to do this? I'll go ahead and go first. I'm a little nervous. I'll be honest. I have not shared my whole story, um at all yet. Uh, And I am definitely a little bit nervous, but I am also very excited. So Dawn, thank you so much for being willing to do this with me (laughs) and the floor is all yours. All right. Well, um, I just referred to a, um, the guy that brought me to CODA and that will, um, well, that's been over five years ago now when I, was seeing this gentleman we were together for almost five years and at the end of the um 
the end of the relationship, well, yeah. Out of the blue, I woke up one morning to my phone, Facebook, being, having in it, you and I are in love with the same person. So something made me wake up, HP has to be now, I look back, it was HP, made me wake up that one morning at 6 a.m., grab the phone, scroll through Facebook, and there it was. He's laying, the guy's laying next to me, and I'm like, I'm reading this, I read it again, and I'm like, what the, you know, wake him up, what's going on? Long story short, find out, he had been, basically had another family, and it had been going on, on and off for our entire relationship, and I was caught completely off guard. That is my feeling in the day it happened. I was angry, I was so mad. Oh my God, I was so angry. I was so hurt. I was, it was, how could he do this to me? Saw these feelings. It was a week before Christmas. It was a week before my birthday. It was a week before I went into, two weeks before I went into a very busy time at work. We took a break for a whole whopping one week, not even, because I was spiraling so badly that I did not know how to make it stop. And the only way to make it stop was to go back into what I knew. So that's what I did. And because I thought something was wrong with me, I thought I did something wrong, I seeked out a therapist. And I went to, I picked out a, picked a therapist and I saw her for three, not quite, I, two sessions, three sessions, somewhere in there. Then something happened, realizing she was not the therapist for me, okay? So I found another therapist and I, I was in therapy for about five months with her working through, of course, working through just the thing that, you know, the guy that brought me to CODA, working through that, of course, angry, trying to figure that out, trying to fix myself until one day she says to me, hey, have you ever heard of codependency? Have you heard of Codependence Anonymous? I think you should check it out. I still felt very un unsettled. And we, we had, like I said, we were back together. Everything was smooth. Everything was wonderful. It was just, but I still did not feel any, there was something in my life that wasn't right. And there was something in that relationship that wasn't right. And I didn't know what it was, but I did know that I could fix it. Now, well, I've done therapy and things are a lot better. So if I do this, if I go check out this thing called Codependence Anonymous, then that'll make it even better and we'll just live happily ever after. So went to my first meeting and it was actually on my stepdad's birthday. That's why I always can remember the date because it was his birthday, June 26th. And of course, 
you know, I felt right, I felt right at home. And it didn't take me long to realize this relationship was not working. Um, when I say not long, it took me a week. And we had another big thing, found out there were some additional lives or additional lies. And I called it like we got it. I mean, <laughs> I was full in. Um, I was physically, I physically was abusive. Not, I didn't hit him. I, but I was swinging there. It was a, it was a, there was a filter, physical altercation between the two of us ended up, um, police came so on and so forth. Nothing came of it. It all went away that part of it. But I started spiraling again, but this time I had something. I continued going to this program and I continued to work this program and things started settling down for me. All this time, I thought I was going to this program to have a better relationship with this partner. What I did not expect from this program to was to realize my entire life was was a codependent moment. So now to go back to my childhood, it's which is what I had to work through with my therapist, with the program, I realized that I grew up with a very codependent mother. Um, who her mother was very codependent. She, my mom grew up in a very, her dad was abusive. Um, she was assaulted twice. And through that and through, with her mom's codependency, she became a very good codependent. She married my dad. Um, they met when they were like 15 years old. She never thought about not in a way not marrying him because that's just she knew like he liked her that was it for her he liked her so she was all in and i remember that i relate to that feeling and my dad cheated on her when they were just dating with um with somebody else and but they still ended up getting married. And then they had me and she was very excited to have me because now I was hers. And she never was happy in her marriage. So what would happen, my dad was abusive to her. And so what, she did was I became her everything. I, she put all of her emotions on me and I took, I took them on and I became an adult in a child's body very quickly. Because my mom was abused by my dad, I took that on as well. I was a protector. So I took on those feelings of I needed to look out for everything, everybody, for my mom. Then I had a sister. Now I had a baby that was all mine. And I became her mom. 
in a backwards way, I became her mom. Now she was mine. She was like, there was something that I had that I, instead of having to carry my mom's emotions and all my mom's emotions and feelings and everything that were put on me, now I had something to take care of. So I felt important because my mom could not make me a priority because she was trying to survive herself. And that went on for a, a, just a short time, a couple of years. And then my parents decided to um, get divorced. And I actually had to do an exercise. I did an exercise the other day. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about shame. And, you know, I'm reading this book on shame. And I didn't realize this was a very pivotal a big moment for me with shame is what I'm about what I'm going to tell you in this, you know, here next. But when my parents got divorced, instead of being the grown-ups in the relationship and the dynamic, they came to me, sat me down and said, you need to decide who you're going to live with. Are you going to live with your mom? Do you want to live with your mom or do you want to live with your dad? And they gave me time to think about it. It wasn't that very generous of them. And I, this is one of, this is, this, this, this memory here is a big memory I had to work through in therapy with ERDM and that kind of thing. Um, because it, I didn't, it, I knew it happened, but I never realized how much weight it carried for me. So I remember going to my room and they finally, I, don't, I can't tell you how long they gave me or it was days or, you know, I just feel if I know if, if I think back, it feels like it was forever, but they decided it was time for me to let them know. And I remember coming down my stairs. I was so scared. Oh my God. I was so scared. I felt so much shame for having, having to have, to, to pick the person that I thought was better because that's what it felt like. I was picking the better parent. That was not the case at all. Um, so I was going to have to let somebody down. And I, <laughs> that was probably a big part of when I no longer could be honest. Like I wasn't honest with who, with my own feelings and my own thoughts because what I told them was, well, I think the best thing for Annie, which is my sister, would be to live with mom because she is a baby and babies need their moms. Of course, my dad was, you know, he was he was heartbroken and I let him down. That's the way that's the that's the way it, I that's what I felt. I let him down, but I didn't. Right. I that was I didn't let him down because that's a choice they put on me. So that for me is a very, very pivotal moment in my life when my codependency was cemented. And like many codependents, I then, you know, at this point I was 11, 12 years old. I started living my life. I started becoming a teenager. I started getting promiscuous at a very young age. Can't, I didn't, I'm not going to say I had sex at a, I did, I did, I did have sex at a very young age because that was a way to get love, but I became physically active 
probably 12, 13 years old. Um, 13, probably I was in middle school. Um, and then because I got a boyfriend in my, my freshman year of high school. And of course in middle school, I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted attention. Um, I needed, I needed, and I put, I'm need, putting needing in air quotes here that I needed this attention and I was going to get it however I could. And I did. And I lost my virginity at a very young age. And I carry shame with that as well. But I did what I, I did what I was doing. I was doing what I did because I didn't know any better. You know, I never, my parents didn't have adult conversations with me of take respect your body, take care of your body. You know, this can happen, this can happen. So I was, I was trying to figure it out as I went. Um, I, with that instance, I learned very quickly that I could get my way with people, men, boys at that age, with my sexual wiles. Um, and it became a tool. It became, no, it did not become a tool. It became a weapon. It became this, this way of getting attention, cementing attention. And I, I used it because I, again, I didn't know any better. Um, so I was actually engaged in high school. I got engaged in my end of, it was my junior year of high school, planned on marrying this man or this, <laughs> this boy at that time. Um, and of course it didn't work out. I went to Florida on spring break and realized I'm not ready. Didn't whatever. So that ended and, um, kind of settled down for a little bit and I met someone who I was head over heels in with and he broke my heart and that led me into meeting a person that I had that was so bad for me was so bad for my life um it was the first time that I did drugs it was the first time I had really drank alcohol First time I had done a lot of things. Um, that relationship, I could not end, end it. He was the first man that was physically, that was, he actually was the only man that was actually physically um, abusive to me. And I stayed. He cheated on me. I stayed. Um, threatened him, did all of that stuff. And I stayed. He decided he could not find a job in the area, so he decided he was going to move and I was going to go with him. He left. I was going to come after the fact, and I knew before he left I was never going to go, but I was not strong enough to end it because I couldn't say those words. So letting him go and then not going for me was easier than actually just saying, I'm not going. So after that, I met my first husband and I, we got married. Um, and he was, he was a good man. He was a good guy. Um, he, he did love me. He 
completely changed his act while we were married and it worked really, really well if I wanted to stay status quo. I got pregnant with Dylan, which we had to do fertility to find that out. And I was so excited about becoming a mom. Like when I found out, like I didn't, it was so, oh, oh. I thought I had the flu for like three months. I was young. I was naive. I thought I had the flu. And I found out, then I went and got a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. And I was, because now, like I said, my sister was mine back, you know, when she was born. Now I really had something that was mine. Something that I could love and something that was going to love me back unconditionally in a way that I had never experienced. Because now we're always mother and son. Mother and child and I always, he's always going to be in my life. I will always be able to take care of him. And so... I, was, I, I went all in when he was born. Um, I was, my codependency, that poor kid. I became, I was a helicopter mom. I was controlling. I was manipulative. And we got, my first husband, I got divorced. And I met my second husband. And I went from being this wonderful, adoring mother to now I was back out that I needed someone in my life, a man in my life, and I met my second husband. And what I did was Dylan ended up staying a lot of times with my mom while I was entertaining. And I don't mean entertaining just in a sexual way. I mean, like, right, I was out with my, with my second husband all the time doing, and I would just leave Dylan at my mom's for days on end. And... I, that I part I carry a lot of guilt with and that's one of the things that recovery gave me was to let that get to let that guilt go um it's a little easier said than done but so I felt like I abandoned him in that moment I didn't I was there for him but I was I was putting a man first I was putting somebody else before me and and my and what I needed to take care of. Um, we ended up getting um, we ended up um, staying together. We ended up moving ended up moving here to Florida, and we had a very volatile, rocky marriage. So that gets me up. We get divorced, and it brings me to the guy that brought me to Coda and that story, but. My journey with Coda, once I, I moved after the guy and I, the guy that brought me to Coda and I, I moved, I got out of my house. I got rid of both of our cars because of course I had bought him a car. Um, and I needed to reboot and I made some very, very poor financial decisions up until this point and then I when I, I, I I've always made poor financial decisions financial decisions for me have always been let me give let me find men that are not equal to me and that do not are not financially equal to me so both my husbands when I met them neither one had um, neither one had well 
when one didn't have a job, the other one was working at where I worked, but he was living with another woman. So again, an unavailable person, someone that was not emotionally, financially, um, situationally available. And I did that with the guy that brought me to Coda as well. Um, so my Coda journey was very much of a rebooting of my entire life and realizing that my codependency started way before I was born. I was, I didn't, there was, unfortunately, it was, I was destined to be a codependent when you, when you, when you, when generational codependency just comes along. It's just part of your package. It's going to happen. And I, I spent a lot of time um, after I joined CODA within three weeks, I actually, I would say I had kind of this mental break. I almost, I have a very, I have a decent job. I work for a very large company and one day I was at work and getting ready to head to my therapist's office and my manager said something to me and I was getting ready to walk out the door. And if I wouldn't have been getting ready to walk out the door, I probably would have lost my job because I was ready to be all in on her. Walked into my therapist's office. Remember that six weeks you've been wanting me to take off? And I'm ready to do that now. Um, side note, when I was married to my first husband, I, in one year, I had um, cancer a couple of times. Um, after we split up, I had, I've had cancer a couple of times. My health was not good the last year of my marriage because I was carrying everything. I was carrying all of the weight and all the stress and all of everything inside me and it had nowhere to go. But what I would do is I would go right back to work. Oh. I get out of the hospital on Sunday night. I'm back to work by Monday, by Tuesday morning at the latest. Oh, I'm done. I don't need six weeks off. I don't need to recover. And my therapist was very much, Dawn, you deserve this time. You deserve to take. And so she had me take six weeks off. I actually said, I'm ready to take the six weeks off. And that's what I did. And my life for six weeks, my job for six weeks became CODA. I'd get up in the morning. I'd take my kids to school. I'd have my bag. I'd head to Starbucks because it was pre-COVID. I'd head to Starbucks and I would sit there all day reading, journaling, doing the questions, absorbing everything I could to make myself better. To make myself understand why I had been feeling the way I had been feeling for so long, but I didn't know why. I say, I, I say, without those six weeks, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but for me, those six weeks are what made me stay in the program. Because this, it's not easy to stay in and, and look at yourself. Um, I, it's how I got through the first few steps. 
And then I met some incredible individuals who became dear friends of mine. Um, and then we started, we worked the steps together. And one of those friends and I became extremely close. And she actually helped me get through um, the early part of COVID. Um, with her, I learned that there was other things that I liked. Um, and one of my favorite stories for me that was a very pivotal moment in my journey when I left stuff on one, one side and went and decided to, it was okay to cross to the other. Um, I was in Tennessee and I was, I was in Gatlinburg and Gatlinburg has a suspension bridge. It's um, the longest suspension bridge in the U.S. and, or the highest, one of the two, whatever it is. And you have to take a ski lift to get to it. And I'm very afraid of heights. And I w it was the first time I had ever traveled by myself and I decided I was going to stop. I had drove, driven to Indiana, Indiana to see my family and I drove back and I decided I was going to stay one day. So two nights, that was it because that's all, you know, that's all I'm going to do. It's all I could do. And I, that day I got up, I went horseback riding. I went to breakfast by myself and I'm sitting in the breakfast place and I see this bridge and I see the ski lift and I'm like, what is that? Well, I want to do that. I don't know what's up there, but I want to do that. So I took the bridge or I took the ski, the ski lift, scared to death. Oh my God, I was so scared. Got to the top and then you had to like take stairs even farther up to get to the bridge. But once you get up there, this it's this spectacular view. And there was this bridge and I'm like, oh shit. What am I going to, and I, I was so scared. I didn't, I was like, I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go. And I, rem <laughs> but I had to go, like I had to go. I wanted to do this. This is like, this is what I had been working up to was putting, like letting these fears go. And so I did. And I went out on this bridge and it's wobbling around and it was shaking and it was scary. And I, I, I don't know how many times I turned around to turn to come back and I can't I'd turn around. I'd make it like a whole full 180 because like I'd get 90 way, 90 degrees through it. And I'd be like, no, turn around. So I turn back around and I take a step and I turn around again. And this happened. And I believe HP needed me to continue. I know he needed me to continue. And this old couple, I, God, they were so old. I don't even know. They were probably in their 80s. They were so old. And their little dog. And the little dog is just, just walking across the bridge. And this old couple's walking out the, across the bridge. And I'm like, what the hell? Dawn, you are not even 50 years old. And you are turning around. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to do this. And for me, what it was, was I was battling going back to what was comfortable and safe versus going to what could be. What was that? What was on the other side of this? What if I stayed on this path? What if I kept going? And so I kept going. But what was funny is I get to the middle of the bridge and there's these glass panels. Now I have to walk over glass panels? Hell, I barely made it to the middle of the bridge. 
And I stopped. I looked down. And I'm like, oh, there's no way. But I'm like, I got to. And people are chuckling as they walk by me because, of course, people are just passing me all up and chuckling. And um, I can do this. So I just had a hold of the rope and I closed my eyes and I went. I just went for it. I didn't look down. I didn't look at anything. I just like, okay, I guess got to go. But once I across that, I kept going, get to the other side. And there was a beautiful, beautiful view. And... But the journey, like, the journey wasn't over yet. I had to come back. And it was still scary. And I got to the middle of it. I got back to the middle of the bridge. And this time it was like, you know what, Dawn, look down. Look down. And it was scary. But I did it. And I got across. And at that moment... I knew my life would never be the same. And that is what what CODA represents to me is it was scary. It was hard. Just because I got part way didn't mean it got easier. It actually got harder. And I had to I had to close my eyes and just go for it and just hope for the best, knowing that something was going to be different over there. And it was, but that didn't mean I didn't have to do it again. I had to go back and that's okay, right? I got to go back, but this time I got to look down. And a couple of years later, we went, I went back and I took my son, my youngest son to Gatlinburg because he, he had heard, he has heard the story so many times saying, and he said, well, I want to know what, what this bridge is all about. Like, why is this bridge so amazing? Da, 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 da. And I was so scared when we went back the second time. I was still scared, but I did it. And, you know, it's funny because he still talks about that. And I, like, that is, I cannot put my journey into words without telling that story. Because that story is exactly what my journey was. It was fear, but the reward what I gained from it, the opportunities that I've gained in working a, pro working a program and, and looking at living my life differently. I'm not fixed. I am still very much a codependent. I still work, have to work the program. I work the program very hard. I, something can come up and I can struggle through it. Because I'm not alone. I have my higher power. And it's, it, like I said, it's, it's sometimes it is a struggle through it. But I, I get there. I have my higher power. I have my people. I have my friends. I have people like Ashley who are living the program as well that I can reach out to. And I am not alone. I had something happen to me last week. The one thing that I have been deathly afraid of. For the last five years, I have not, not five years, maybe three years, I um, have not seen the guy that brought me to CODA. And I was scrolling through Facebook and he had, um, he has a daughter and the daughter's grand birthday was her five-year birthday was 
um, last weekend and I was scrolling through, she shared a, a, a post and I'm scrolling through this post looking at all these cute little girls in their tiaras and it was a TNTRS party and there he was. There was his picture. And I, the story I had told myself was going to take me to my knees, that I was going to be a mess. I was going to be, and it was a, it was sad, but that was it. I just kept scrolling. I was actually at a stoplight. I put my phone down, drove home, thought about it, not going to lie and say I didn't think about it. But it didn't be, it wasn't an obsession like things would have been in the past. And normally, if something like that would have happened, it would have triggered me like crazy. I would have been texting my therapist. I would have been texting everybody, um, calling everybody and saying, I need to talk. Do you have, and I didn't have to call anybody because it carried no weight. It was so the weirdest thing. And I like, oh, I'll tell my therapist about it tomorrow. And then I get to my therapist's office that day, the next day, and I'm talking to her. And I was talking to her about my boys. And then all of a sudden it popped in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell you something. I'm so proud of myself. I had forgotten about it. And in that moment, like I have seen this program change my life. I have felt this program change my life. But in that moment, the moment where I, I the person that I hit rock bottom with no longer carried weight with my in my life and I have felt so much lighter with that and it was just with HP like here you go Dawn here's your reward I want you to have this I want you to see this the work you have done has changed your life and everyone's life around you your sons your moms and you have a, a relationship with them that you never would have imagined and this journey is hard, but in, but now I have a life that, that I'm, I'm blessed to have. And that's my story. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dawn. That has been that is so amazing to just sit and listen to. Um, very emotional at times as well, I can tell you. Um, thank you. Thank you. So, I guess that means it's my turn now. <laughs> um, so, I'll never forget the first time I heard about CODA. Um, it was a, a horrible day. Uh, I remember the night before Nick and I had sat out on our front porch and uh, decided that he needed to go to rehab. Um, he was an alcoholic, and he was also addicted to um, pain pills. So that morning, um, he's packing all his clothes and gets in the car, and we're driving to the airport. And I just remember the absolute terror of the drive, um, being very in my head, worrying about if I was going to say the wrong thing, and it was going to make him decide that going to rehab was a horrible idea after all. And at the same time, feeling like I absolutely did not want him to go. 
like I don't remember all of our conversation. I don't remember hardly any of our conversation other than me being absolutely terrified. Um, the one main thing I do remember was that as we pulled up, up to the airport, I looked at him and I said to him, one way or another, when you get home, nothing will ever be the same again. And that is really what I felt. That is, that is where my brain was in that spot. Like, holy crap, this is such a big thing. If he comes home, can we be together? Can we make our family work? If he doesn't come home, if he comes back and he's not sober, everything was about him. It was all reliant 100% on him. Um, so anyways, on the way home from the airport, I, I, God, I just remember feeling so off. Um, like I wanted to run away, but what would be the point? Because I would still be there, right? Like I was just, I just felt so full of everyone else that there just wasn't any room for myself. I couldn't worry about me because I was too worried about Nick or the kids or my mom or my brother or my sister, or just whatever I could find to worry about. Um, so as I'm driving home and, and I'm just feeling this, I don't know, defeated, hopeless despair, I called the rehab. I don't know why I was calling the rehab. I don't remember what the point was. I just remember that I had to stop thinking about everything that I was thinking about. So I called the rehab and I got um, Frank is his name. I'll never forget his name because that man saved my life in more ways than he knows. Um, I got Frank on the phone and I remember talking to Frank for about 20 minutes. I talked to Frank. He didn't talk to me. He just listened very quietly on the phone, listened to me rant and rave and just go on and on about everything that I was terrified about. He might have asked me two or three questions in there. Um, and then he asked me if I'd ever heard of CODA. And I was like, oh, what? What is CODA? And he then explained codependency and CODA.org and Codependence Anonymous and um, told me that as the director of the rehab, he's found that that is the one thing families can do to help their partners be successful. Had he not said those exact words to me, I probably wouldn't have looked it up. But because he said that, the minute I got home, I got online. I went to Coda.org and I read every possible thing I could on the website. I found the meetings um, and and I only had to wait about an hour for my first meeting. Uh, during that hour, again, I just sat there reading. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe how I went this long without ever knowing about this group. Like I had searched my entire adult life to figure out why I couldn't fix all of this brokenness around me. Like why everything I tried to do that I knew was so good just turned out so bad. I tried therapy and medicine and religion and meditation and yoga and I began to get into like shadow writing and, and like you name it throughout the course of my adult life, I've tried it. But sitting in that first meeting and reading those papers, those, those website pages, I just remember thinking that maybe just maybe this would work. 
there was just this sliver of hope after that first meeting. Like I hadn't, I, I just knew I found my people. Um, I knew I fit in after just hearing a few people share. You see, because what they were saying is exactly what I had went through, right? My childhood was absolutely awful. Um, my biological father left when I was like 18 months old. Um, and then he came back when I was like five. And then when I was like eight, he signed his rights away. And then when I was like 12, I moved in with him. Right. I never knew if he was going to show up for his weekends. And when he did, I never knew if mom was going to let us go with him. Um, see, mom and dad hated each other. Uh, mom yelled and called names and dad's response was to go further away. Um, later on, I found out one of the biggest reasons mom and dad hated each other was because my stepdad had at one point been my dad's best friend. Uh, um, they, they just they just couldn't even be in the same room as each other, the three of them. Um, they hated each other. I don't ever remember my biological dad and my mom being together, like like in a relationship together. And thank God, because I, I just can't imagine them even in the same house as each other. They literally hated each other. Um, I think the first time they were ever in the same room as each other, I was like... 20 actually i was 19 it was my oldest daughter's first birthday so anyways um dad's answer to confrontation is to leave um i i i remember on more than one occasion dad would bring us home from our weekend visitation with uh, with him and he would go to take us to our mom and the entire drive home i would just be in the backseat crying and begging him not to make me go back there please don't take me home. Like I would out loud pray to God that something would happen and we would just magically end up in California with our dad forever. And my dad would be driving, hearing me say this. I can't imagine now how hard that was for him. Um, but at that point, I was just terrified to go back to my mom. My mom was physically abusive. She was extremely abusive to me. Um, she was angry. I, my stepdad was an alcoholic and a workaholic. He, he wasn't home, and when he was home, he was drunk. My brother was 18 months older than me, and he was also extremely angry and took that anger out on me. Um, between him and my mom, I would get hands put on me violently in one way or another every single day between my brother and my mom. Um, I don't have any really good memories of my elementary school years. Um, I remember my mom pulling my hair so hard that I would have bald spots all the time. Uh, kids would pick on me at school for it. Um, my head would bounce off walls, be hit with things. I, I remember my stepdad used to come home um, and he would ask me what my mom had done to me that day. If I told him, depending on how drunk he was, he would go and do those same things to her. So, right, if if she hit me with a hairbrush, he would hit her with a hairbrush. If she hit my head on the wall, he would hit her head on the wall. And then, right, me and my brother and sister would sit there and listen to that crap happen. And my brother would come and beat me up the next day because it was my fault that my stepdad did that to my mom. Sometimes I would lie to my dad. 
my stepdad and I would tell him that my mom was nice and then maybe if I was lucky that night they wouldn't fight or at least it wouldn't be as bad right but mostly I just felt horrible all the time because I really loved that my stepdad was sticking up for me because at least someone thought I was worth defending I remember at about 11, I wrote my mom this Mother's Day card. I spent a lot of time on it. Um, and in that card, I told her how much I hated her. I told her how much I wanted to leave and how much I wanted to live with my dad and how I was going to do that eventually, and she couldn't stop me. Um, I meant every word of it. I take myself back to those emotions and the anger and the hatred and the God, just the rage that that little girl felt. Um, so less than a year later, um, I got my wish. My mom ended up being checked into a mental hospital um, and my stepdad couldn't take care of the three of us. And by law, he was my stepdad, even though he had been there since I was two. Um, and I adored him. I called him dad. He had always been dad. Um, I got what I wanted, what I had always wanted. And I moved in with my, with my dad, me and my brother both. When I was about 12 years old, we moved in with our dad. I realized very quickly that they were just two different sides of the same coin. See, my dad was a drunk. He was a funny drunk and he was a happy drunk. But he was a drunk. There were many times I had to carry him in from the house. He'd be passed out on the front porch. And my friends would drop me off from hanging out with them. And I'd have to carry my dad in the house. Um, and then there, there, a lot of times that house had no lights or no water. On about three different occasions, I lost all of my worldly possessions because the house was condemned and we were still living in it. And we couldn't go back in and get our stuff. I only lived alone for a few years. At about 15, I ran away. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and uh, he was intoxicated, and he was peeing on me. I screamed, I yelled, I cried, I laughed, I ran as far as I could. We never discussed it. We never talked about it. I still don't know if he remembers it or knows why I laughed. He never asked. I never told. I moved in with my boyfriend that night and his parents at 15. Um, I lived with them for a couple years, and then he joined the military. And when he did, I moved into my first apartment at 16 years old. Um, I immediately had to meet a new boyfriend so that he could move in with me because I could not live alone. Um, so at 16, I had my first place with my boyfriend, and I worked, and I went to school, and I supported myself. Um, but Eight months in, my school found out that I lived in a different town than I was actually working in, um, or than I was actually going to school in. And they decided that I had to either get registered in the town I lived in, move back to town, and show them proof that I moved back to town, um, or that was that. I couldn't go to school anymore. So, um, Right, I was 17, I had a 4.63 GPA, offers of scholarship for Cornell Vetney School. My mom was in a halfway house, um, about two and a half hours away or so, and she could not drive, nor could she get a ride to register me. 
my father, I, I honestly don't remember where he was. I couldn't find him, I don't think. Um, needless to say, I quit school. I moved across the country to my cousin's house, and I met my husband, my first husband at that point. Um, within a year, I was pregnant with my oldest daughter. Uh, before she was born, we were married as soon as I turned 18. Um, before I was 21, I had two kids, a husband, and a house to take care of. I think back to those years, and uh, I remember how much I loved my daughter. Um, God, the amazement and and joy that I felt holding her the first time. Um, this was going to be the thing that was going to love me forever, right? This was a part of me, this little person. And, and my son, I remember feeling the exact same thing for him. It's, it's so hard to put it into words. It's like, it's like finally the one thing in my life that is always going to be in my life. The one thing that I know I will always do right no matter what. Um, that's what they were at that point. My husband was just the guy that was there to provide financially. He was supposed to help me. He was one more person I had to take care of, right? I thought it was my my husband's job to make me happy and, and my job to make him happy. I also thought it was my job to teach him how to treat me. I thought I had to teach my children how to be good people. I thought I had to fix every issue that everyone had. And if they would just listen to me, they would be so much happier. When they didn't listen to me, instead of accepting them for who they were, I tried a thousand different ways to make them do it my way, to change them. I thought I was doing it to help them, to make them better. I thought, I thought that's what people did for people we loved. We fixed them. We made them better, right? I mean, my mom still thinks that if you love someone and you think they're broken, it's your job to fix them. That, that's, that's what I thought at that point. I now know that no one's broken. Every one of us is right where we need to be. We are exactly who we are supposed to be. No one's broken. I also see how viewing someone as broken makes it absolutely impossible to truly love them. How can I love someone and not appreciate who they currently are? How can I love someone and think they are broken? The truth for me is I can't. If I'm trying to fix and change, I cannot be loving you for who you are because I'm only seeing who I want you to be and you aren't. I never understood that trying to love someone that I view as broken is not actually loving them at all until CODA. It, really, it, it's just loving who I wanted them to be, not who they were. Anyways, um, we did that for about six years, uh, and at 23, I found myself a single mother of two kids, newly divorced, getting no help at all from the father. I, I had dropped out of school and devoted myself to this family. I, I wasn't even working when he left. Um, he was supposed to go for the way for the weekend and, and never came back. Um, it's been 20 years since the last time I saw him. 
Um, actually, it hasn't been 20 years. I say that in exaggeration. It has been 17 years since the last time I saw him. It has been 18 years since he helped to raise our kids in any way. I spent 10 of those years chasing him, trying to force him to be the dad that my kids deserved, um, making them and myself completely miserable in the process. Uh, I tried to go to courts. I tried to go to child support enforcement. I tried to get lawyers and take him to court to try to force him to pay child support in the hopes that if I was taking his money, he would be there to support his kids, like really physically. Um, it's just never worked. It just never worked. I took so many days off of work to show up, to sit in court, to argue that I deserved for him to be a dad and my kids deserve to have a dad and just force him to step up. And it, it just never worked. Finally, I just accepted that they'll never have the dad they deserved. God, I'll never forget that day either. It broke my heart. I remember, <laughs> I remember getting a letter from child support enforcement that there was another court date. At this point, he owed me like $30,000 in child support. Um, and I remember just feeling, again, defeated, right? Like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? It, it's just not going to work. Nobody's going to make this man be a dad. Nobody's going to make him help. And I've spent all this time fighting it and doing it by myself. Maybe if I stopped fighting it, I would have a little room to be happy. Um, and I just threw the letter away. And I just never went back to court again. I just never worried about child support again. I never, I just let it go. But like, like, I don't know. Like, I just accepted that they were just never going to have the dad they deserve. That, that ship had sailed a long time ago. I realized I was just going to be better off to do it on my own. And, and I, I let go of getting help from him, right? It, it didn't change anything. My oldest two kids still don't know their father, right? He still didn't help. Letting go didn't make it better. But I didn't spend 20 years begging him to care. I realized before it was too late that my kids don't need him. I didn't need him. I stopped trying to make him be a dad. I said I let it go a minute ago, but I don't, I don't think I actually let it go. It was always there in the back of my mind, right? As soon as life calmed down, it was kind of there, ready to jump right to the forefront of my mind so I could be stressed. Just like my relationship with my mom or my dad or my brother, right? I never let that go. We just never discussed it. We never resolved. I, I would yell. I would scream. My mom would yell. And then I would hang up or leave. And we wouldn't talk for months or years. Um, and then rinse and repeat. And my dad, my stepdad, my brother, my sister, we just didn't talk about that stuff. We just tucked it up as tight as we could in this little teeny tiny bundle and, and buried it as deep as we could, right? Told myself I'd let it go. And then anytime it would try to come to my mind, I would beat it down as hard as I could and tell it to shut up and leave me alone. Um, just never truly let it go. So then when I was about 24, uh, just over 16 years ago, I met Nick. It was my birthday. We met at the bar. Um, I had a 
three-year-old and a five-year-old at that point. Um, I was out with my father and uh, uh, just and my, my dad and his wife just playing pool, hanging out, having a couple drinks. And Nick was there. He was hanging out, too. He knew my dad and Linda. Um, he had played pool with them off and on for a couple of years. And we hit it off immediately. Um, Cotty was funny. He was so funny that the next day my cheeks and my belly hurt from how much he made me laugh. Um, just from laughing at him, just the jokes and the silly things he would say. I remember thinking um, just how much he wanted to be loved, right? I, I remember thinking about him the next day and thinking back on like, damn, that man just wants to be loved. I don't know why I thought that. So weird to say that. I, I do. I remember thinking that though. Um, we hung out all night. Um, I had just gotten a tattoo for my birthday the night before. So while we were there, it, it was still pretty sore. And he, every time he would say something and I would laugh, he would put his arm around me. And when he did, he had this way of like smacking my shoulder, not really smacking it, but like dropping his hand heavy on it. And I had just gotten a tattoo on my shoulder blade. So I remember yelling at him and, and, of course, he apologized, but I just remember thinking, like, damn, that's because he was drunk. And then I just never thought about it again. I went home that night, and I looked him up on MySpace. You remember MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> Facebook wasn't even around yet. That's so crazy. Um, I sent him a friend request and a message giving him my phone number and saying how much fun I had. I have no idea how long it took him to call me back. Uh, but within six months, I was buying my house and asking him to move in with me. Right from the beginning, I decided that I was going to do it differently with Nick than I did with my ex-husband. Um, I had known I was controlling. One of our biggest issues was that he lied all the time. And I thought at the time that that was a lot of why he ran away is because I was controlling. So I decided right away that I was not going to be controlling, at least not intentionally. Um. At first, Nick only drank on the weekends, and I would have a babysitter, and we would go out to concerts or clubs. We had fun every weekend. We went to bars, drinking, dancing, laughing. During the week, we worked. We took care of the house, the kids. Um, right? I did everything I could to keep things how Nick liked them, quiet. The dog was quiet. The kids played in their rooms. We just kind of went with the day-to-day -day life for a few years. Um, Right. Within within a few years, the drinking started to pick up. Mondays was, was game night in the house and we would play the Wii and listen to music with the kids. And of course, he would get really drunk and I would just make fun with the kids and like make jokes out of it. He was never mean. Well, he usually wasn't mean. He never real mean. Um, right. Other times I, I would just get angry. I would yell. I, we would fight in front of the kids. I would fight with a drunk, like waste drunk while the kids were hiding in the rooms pretending not to listen to us um most of the time i just felt like a victim right who was trying really really hard to fix everything but couldn't right i, I became that woman that went around um behind her man cleaning up his messes i would pay all the bills out of our joint account because i needed to make sure it was done and i couldn't rely on him to pay the bills he would pass out and i would clean up the bed before anybody woke up to make sure the mess was cleaned up uh, uh, I'd make excuses for him with the kids. I was always the DD. Uh, I always took care of the school stuff. Um, 
I remember once my oldest daughter asked him if she could call him dad. Um, at first, I remember feeling like this pride for him, like, wow, look how much she loves him. That's so amazing. She wants to call him dad, right? My stepdad is my dad. Like, I just felt this, like I had done something right. And then his answer was no. No, sweetie, you can't call me dad because you already have a dad and, and I don't want to take his place. I told myself that that didn't matter. I told those around me he was trying to be genuine and he was in his mind, I think, trying to be genuine. Um, it was just a name, right? Who cared about a name? Few few years in and things were hard. We were fighting a lot. I was trying to manipulate him into changing and he was trying to fight me with everything he had, right? Um, at 27, I had surgery on my leg and got pregnant with my youngest child. Um, I was on birth control and the, for those of us that don't know, the anesthesia um, can negate birth control. So I, I did end up getting pregnant with Cameron. And I remember when I told Nick that I was pregnant, his first response was not what I wanted. Um, I was angry by it, but I stuffed that down and pretended I didn't care. I pretended it didn't hurt my feelings. I pretended I didn't ma it didn't matter. Um, and then as the pregnancy progressed, things got more difficult. I was more emotional. Um, the fear from him, right? He didn't, he was a first time father and he didn't know what he was getting into. Um, I ignored my feelings, right? I just pushed harder to just be better. I was terrified. I was terrified that I wouldn't love the new baby like I did my other two. I was terrified they wouldn't feel as loved as the new baby. I was terrified of how the dynamics were going to change. Um, and yet I also knew that this baby was going to save me and Nick. I knew that this baby was going to change things in ways that I couldn't describe. And I wanted this baby just as much as I wanted the others. That didn't change how terrified I was. So after she was born, we struggled. We struggled for about six years. I mean, we did our best. Right. We worked hard and we tried to raise our kids with love and respect. We tried to raise good adults. We focused on school and manners, but we were strict. Respect was important. I yelled. We grounded. That was a big thing. They would get grounded to their rooms for three days just for talking back. And when they were grounded to their rooms, they sat on their beds. The only thing they were allowed to do is read a book. They weren't allowed outside. No TV, no playing, none of that crap. Um, I didn't think about how the things that we were saying to the kids or the, or the things I was saying around the kids would impact them, right? I, I didn't consider how pushing them to be better would hurt their self-confidence. Um, over the years, Nick and I, um, over the years we were together, we played with drugs. I had never tried drugs. I had never done any drugs. I didn't even drink, really. I mean, when Nick and I first met was the most I drank in my life. And that was like here and there, two or three drinks, because I was always driving, right? Um, but, right, he, he, he would come home with them, and he'd ask me to do them with them. And sometimes he didn't have to ask much, and other times he would convince me to do them. Um, we, we did all kinds of things. And 
it wasn't until I was like 33 that I ever did anything for the first time, any drugs really for the first time. I think that's important because it shows my level of codependency, right? I was, I was against it. I never did drugs as a teenager in my early 20s and my family was always playing, right? No, what would we call them, recreational addicts or however we would say it. I don't know how to say it, but they were always playing but nothing really hard no real true addicts um i remember um i remember not really wanting to do them on multiple occasions and then him pushing me and convincing me and me going right just just being like okay because i wanted to please him i wanted to make him happy i wanted to um do things that he liked also um so Things came to a head uh, December 2018. I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and had to have surgery. Um, and I was completely engulfed in my victimization and what I was going through. And Nick was totally engulfed in his addiction and his alcoholism, which had um, just gotten really, really bad over the years, turned into a pretty serious pill addiction. Um, and for a long time, I just pushed harder and harder to get through each day thinking it would eventually get better, uh, right? Just give more, work harder, fight more, fight harder, but it just never did. And finally we split up. For two years, I hated him. I was angry, I was sad, I was disappointed. I was, I just hated him. Um, I didn't speak to him at all. And when I did, I just spewed venom at him. I was, I, I, I was angry, my life was in ruins and it was all his fault. Um, I spent two years filled with anger. Nothing was working in nothing was working in my life at all. Um, I, I had a job at one point that I was really proud of, and then I ended up I ended up getting a stalker at that job, and ended up losing my job due to situations with that stalker. And then I took another job um, that I was proud of for a company that I was embarrassed to work for things just got worse and worse until I was again, um, I was just, I, I was alone. I felt alone. I was just at my bottom. I remember laying on my bathroom floor, just crying in the middle of the night, considering if my kids really needed me as much as they thought they did. Um, <laughs> I remember weighing out what would happen to each one of my kids if I wasn't there. And I remember coming to the conclusion that, um, Cameron would be okay because Nick and his family would make absolute certain of it. They would take care of her. They would make sure that she did what needed to be done. Cameron would be fine. But I didn't think my oldest two would because who would take care of them, right? My dad was miles away. He, he was states away. My mom was states away. And they weren't really either good options in my opinion. And my stepdad was still drinking and doing his stuff at that point. And I didn't really feel like I had many good options for them. And thank God, because who knows where I would be if I'd have found a good option for them in that moment. Um, then there was another day that exact same week, and this is how I knew that everything needed to change. Um, there was another day that same week where I got in the car, it was about 2 a.m. and I, I got in the car because I was gonna drive myself to the mental hospital. I remember thinking I was just like my mom. Uh, here I go, going to the mental hospital, leave my kids alone, and I'm just like my mom, I'm no better. 
And I remember getting in the car and getting to a stop sign and it was a four-way stop. And it was like two in the morning. I don't know. It could have been four in the morning. I, I honestly don't know. But it was the middle of the night. And um, again, I just remember thinking that there was no one to take care of them. My kids would wake up in the morning and they would just be alone. So I turned around. I didn't turn around because I didn't need to go. I didn't turn around because I couldn't go or I didn't want to go. I turned around because my kids needed me. My oldest two kids had nobody but me. That was what was in my mind. That was why I turned around. Um, finally, thank God, that was, that was the end of February, beginning of March. And finally, on March 4th was the day Nick went to CODA. Not Nick went to rehab, and I found CODA. Um, CODA saved my life. CODA gave me a tribe. It gave me a place where I could feel safe. Um, CODA gave me people who understood me, and it gave me a way to fix all of the brokenness that I saw in the world. I like the way I said that. Um, I didn't fix any brokenness because there was no brokenness, but it gave me a way to fix the brokenness that I saw. Um, in CODA, I learned that other people's thoughts, feelings, and opinions are none of my, my business. They don't matter, and they don't affect me, and they don't control me. I learned that other people are not broken. They are exactly where they are supposed to be for what they are doing in their life. I learned that I don't know best for other people but I do know best for me. CODA taught me how to have faith in life, how to truly believe that everything is exactly where it's meant to be, right here, right now, no matter where that is. I finally understand that as long as I do what is best for me in this moment, everything else will be okay. I can't stop bad things from happening. I can't prevent people from feeling pain. But I can stop myself from living in chaos. I can love myself. And I can truly love others for who they are right now. I've finally realized that I am powerless over everything and everyone except my actions. My actions are the only thing that I can control. My actions are the only thing I can change. And by changing my actions, I can change my life and the lives of those around me. Those lessons were not easy to learn. It was hard. I cried, I screamed, I ran away, I came back, I gave up, I started over, I slipped many, many, many times. Hell, I still slip, I still fall, but I always stand back up and lovingly remind myself that we all fall. It's okay to fail. It's, it's even okay to lay there and cry about it for a while. 
as long as I'm willing to learn from that fall, there's nothing wrong with where I am right now and what am I, I am doing right now. It's okay. Hell, it's better than okay. It's perfect. That's what Kodo's taught me. Thank you, Ashley. Um, I've, whew, like you said, some, some just, some of your story, which I've heard your story, um, it's, it still hits me hard sometimes. Um, but thank you for sharing that um, with us. It's hard to share our stories. I mean, it's easy to share our stories, but there's so much, like I'm listening to your story and it's funny because I'm like, oh, I should have said that. Oh, yeah, I should have said that. I did that during yours too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is my story, You're, right? Your story is my story and my story is your story and our story is somebody else's story, it's, right? It's just... We're all connected. We are a tribe. Yes. This tribe changed my life. Not feeling alone. Not feeling like I was on an island somewhere. Right? We've said you can finish my sentences. It's you can finish my sentences because you can relate to my story. Because my story is your story. Just with different words. Yes. And when we don't feel that alone, we realize we're not alone. Like, I am never going to be alone again, ever. Right. I mean, I can be by myself all the time, but just because I'm by myself doesn't mean I'm alone. I'm, I'm never alone. Yeah. And having people to reach out to when we need them is what makes this work. And I love what you said about... Right? There are ups, there's downs, there's slips, there's every day. Every day. The, the, the key to it is how long do I let that slip go? How long do I stay in it? How long? It happens. I acknowledge it and I get back up. That's it. Well, this has been a wonderful experience with you tonight, Don. I am so glad that... We were able to do this and share our story with our listeners. Guys, I hope you all t took something amazing from this, just as I have, like I do every week. Yep. Um, we would love to hear your stories. We would love for you to share your stories. Share your, if you are in a 12-step program, it doesn't have to be CODA, right? We are just wanting healthy relationships, um, being a better self, loving yourself more, and whatever your journey is. Um, we would love for you to share that with us so we can share it with the listeners as well. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, that can be sent in um, through our through the website, workityouareworthit.com. And Ashley, thank you. You are very welcome, Dawn. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Bye, everyone. Bye. We would like to thank you for joining us on this journey of self-discovery. Visit the Work It website at workityouareworthit.com 
to submit your questions and topics for future episodes. And remember, work it because you are worth it.